All right, good morning, everybody. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this gorgeous, beautiful day outside, and we pray that your presence would make it even more beautiful inside. Please meet with us, speak to us through this scripture today. Help each teacher and each age group way better than how we came. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's open up. Uh, oh, sorry, younger folks, you can head out. Forgive me. Getting, getting ahead of myself. Younger folks can head out to their classroom. Gents, I heard my sound drop once already, so let's adjust that. And Yelifovosinus, uh, let's get Habakkuk chapter 3, please. By the grace of God, we'll be finishing this minor prophet, uh, prophet today. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse number 17. Habakkuk 3, verse 17. Now, as you know, we've been covering some rather deep stuff in this chapter. Habakkuk had asked the question, what are you going to do about all the evil around us? And there was a short-term answer, I'm going to bring the Chaldeans, punish the Jews. All right, good, but what about the Chaldeans? They're wicked. Don't worry, I've got a plan for them too. I'm going to destroy them and punish them equal to their crimes. And then God revealed to Habakkuk, not just that short term, but the long term plan that one day all the wickedness in the world is going to be dealt with. And what we've been looking at in chapter three was a very graphic and detailed explanation, vision, if you will, of the second coming of Christ, the end of the world as we know it, right? After Jesus comes back and he is established as king of kings on this earth and there is this regeneration, Jesus called it. Now, verse 17 to the end, it is the closing up of the book. It's, Habakkuk is no longer talking about prophecy. This now becomes very practical. We've dealt with all the dirty details and how God is going to deal with the wicked. <clears throat> and now this lesson that we get here, I, I almost posted some messages on Godly Family and said, don't miss this. <laughs> because this speaks to, I think, Everybody, at some point in your life, you're going to hit some valleys, you're going to hit some dips, some tough times, and this tells us in a big way how to deal with that. Verse 17, although the fig tree shall not blossom, <clears throat> neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Pause for a moment, make sure that we're on the same page here. Habakkuk is, notice how it starts, although, right? He's acknowledging, God, you said things are not going to get better, not immediately, they're going to get worse. So God, although things are not going to be prosperous, there will not be that silver lining in the clouds today. Now, eventually, Yes, way out there in the future, but not right now. And even though, although it's going to get rough and we're going to have some tough times and dark days, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I want you to see that Habakkuk's resolve is tremendous. There's a commitment, a, a, a predetermination in his own heart that even though, God, you do not fix all of my problems, and even though you do not fix the nation in which I live in the generation 
in which I'm living, I'm still going to be happy with you. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't matter how prosperous I am. Doesn't matter how good my job goes. Doesn't matter how much money I make. Doesn't matter how good my health is. I am determined, I am resolved that I'm going to rejoice in the Lord and in the God of my salvation. So there's several things, very practical things that I'd like to talk to you about through this. In verse number 17, notice the fig tree shall not blossom and the fruit in the vines. This, is a very, this speaks to your workplace, right? This is where the Jews made a lot of their money. This is everyday life for them. The fields yield no meat. The flocks are cut off. So you're lacking income. You're lacking your daily bread, right? Isn't that what Jesus taught the Jews to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. Taught his disciples that. They're lacking that in a big way. Many of you are not. Some of you do pray day to day, but many of you are not. We have it good. A- amen. You need to say amen right there. Listen, I-, I-, I know that you fight me on this whole amen thing all the time, but right there you need to say amen. Because here in South Africa, I, I don't think anybody expects a lot from our government. You can say amen again there because... <laughs> You complain about that all the time. I know you think that. I'm just repeating what you've said to me for 10 years. But, but notice here, even though we don't expect great things from the government, and even if I don't get that job, and even if God doesn't answer all my prayers the way I want Him to, and even though for the next 70 years, Habakkuk, things are going to be bad, I'm still going to rejoice in God. Here, here's how we often do it. God... I'll serve you as long as, right, we set the conditions. As long as you do this, fix that, turn this, get this right, then I'm all in. That's never how it works. There is a guy in the Bible who tried that. Do you remember who did this? This is Jacob. That's Jacob's way of doing it. Take your Bible, turn to Genesis 28. Let me show you an example of this. Remember when Jacob was running from Esau? trying to run away from his problems like some folks do. And then God, he, he lays down. He doesn't have a pillow. He uses a stone instead. He starts to dream and God comes to him in a dream and says, I'm going to bring you back to, this, to the land of your fathers here, to this land of Canaan and give you this land and your seed. And then verse 20. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. Do you see the condition? God, you work everything out in my life the way I want you to, and then I'm all yours. I do not think that anybody should be following Jacob's example at this point in his life. Because by the time you get to the end of his life, right, towards the end, he meets Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asks him how old he is. He's advanced in age. I'm 147 years old. And the days of the years of my pilgrimage are few and evil, he says. His testimony is, I, listen, I, I know about God. I know who he is. I know, who the, I know what the covenant is. I know all about that. But I did not do a good job of serving him. Do not let that be your testimony. And the way you're going to prevent that is by looking at things the way Habakkuk did. God, what are you going to do about all these problems here in the nation? There's great wickedness. It abounds. God says, yep, I know it, and I'm going to punish the people. 
And Habakkuk says, okay, that means things are going to get worse and not better. That's right, Habakkuk. Now, you see, the reason this this catches a lot of folks by surprise is because you turn on the TV, and it doesn't matter if it's a religious program or not. People are always looking for something to tickle their ears, especially when they go to church. People aren't looking for preachers these days. They're looking for cheerleaders. Amen. Just tell me what I want to hear. Tell me that everything's going to work out. Tell me that all my dreams are going to come true. Tell me that I can do anything. Tell me that I will be the best me that I can be. Tell me all my problems are going to go away. Tell me that there's a blessing just waiting there. All I got to do is come forward and claim it. Some churches, they don't even make you do that now. You don't even have to come forward. You can just wait right where you're at. Just name it, then claim it. Making it real easy. And this idea that, don't worry, doesn't matter what you've done, there are no consequences. God's grace will just cover it up. Please understand, I'm not trying to erase the immensity of God's mercy and grace because it, it is immense. It is deep. He is rich in mercy. His mercies are new every morning. Let's not make light of that. But let's also acknowledge that God is holy and just and we should not deceive ourselves. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Let's talk reality today that sometimes things do not get better. Sometimes things get worse. And every now and again, it's good that you get a big dose of reality. Not from somebody trying to discourage you, but somebody trying to enlighten you so that you can properly handle the problems that are going to smack you in the face tomorrow morning. So that when you wake up, you're not under this delusional idea that, hey, life is going to be great because yesterday I went to church. That is not how it goes. But I made a deal with God. That's not how it goes. God told Habakkuk, said, Habakkuk, you wanted a straight answer? I'm giving you one. Things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. And Habakkuk's answer to that was, okay, well, even though things are not going to work out for the next 70 years, And by the way, Habakkuk didn't even know it was 70 years at that time. He just thought it's not going to work out. (laughs) Although things aren't going to work out, God, you're still my God. And I'm still, I'm not going to follow you begrudgingly and complaining and whining the whole way. I'm going to be happy about it because you're my God. You're a God that tells me the truth. Even if I didn't want to hear it, you told me the truth, which means, guys, do you understand the, 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 the immense blessing and the courage it takes for somebody to tell you the truth. Don't take that lightly. For somebody to tell you the truth. Now what you do next, based on that truth they've just told, that will tell everything about how you feel about that person. I'll let you ponder on that for a bit, but husbands and wives, that works in the marriage as well. To tell the truth takes a lot of courage and God You can't get any more courage than that. He's the source of it. He's the source of all strength. So he says, listen, Habakkuk, I want you to know the facts. This is the reality of it. It's not going to get better. Take your Bible, look at Jeremiah chapter 28. Habakkuk determined in his heart, please listen to this while you flip the pages. I want you to hear this. He determined in his heart that even though life around him and outside of him, I'm talking outside of his body, within arm's reach, looking for the vine, going to the herd, 
everything around him is going to be bad. He determined that within, he's going to rejoice. This will allow him to have gratitude. He looked around and thought, what can I thank God for? You know, that is a great way to overcome depression. I'm not saying that it, it, it fixes it immediately. It's not like some magic pill you take and it all goes away. But looking for a reason to say, thank you, God. This has gone wrong and that's not so good, but you know what? That's not so bad. Now, notice that Habakkuk, he said, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord and in the God of my salvation. So maybe looking all around you, you have nothing to be thankful for. So you think, which isn't really true. You could probably be thankful for some things if you looked hard enough. But if you can't find anything externally, look internally, look eternally. Say, man, I know how this thing's going to end. It's going to get bad, and it's going to be real bad. I just had a whole, all of chapter 3 to tell me how bad it's going to be. But after that, the whole earth gets converted. The knowledge of the Lord fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. I know how this thing ends up, so thank God for that. Right, that attitude of gratitude, that's going to help you rejoice. We're going to cover a ton of Scripture here, so you guys... Read fast while I talk fast here. Jeremiah chapter 28. We're going to talk for a minute here about the dangers of a preacher or anybody for that matter, a counselor, telling you that things are going to be better when they really won't be. All right? And then we're going, to get, we're going to see some balance in this, I hope. Chapter 28, verse 1. Now, uh, forgive me. I don't mean to keep running side to side here, but Habakkuk, he had this revelation just before Jeremiah starts to preach, okay? Maybe just a few years before. I just want you to know in, in your mind the, the context here. So verse one, it came to pass the same year in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year in the fifth month that Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet, which was of Gibeon, spake unto me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priest and of all the people, saying, do you have the picture in your mind? They're in the temple, priest and people standing around. There's Jeremiah and he's been preaching that everything's going to go wrong. And now Hananiah stands up and directly talks to Jeremiah in front of everybody. Verse 2, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years will I bring again into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them to Babylon. And I will bring again to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah that went into Babylon, saith the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. He says, just two years and God's going to fix everything. Now just have faith, believe it, name it, claim it. It's going to go great. Speak life. That's what he's doing. That is, that's precisely what he's doing. I'm going to speak life over the Nebuchadnezzars in my life. Even though Nebuchadnezzar came once and flattened us, then he came again and flattened us a second time. Not the third time. We're going to overcome. Now, Jeremiah had been saying otherwise. Hananiah says, oh, he's just a negative, mean-hearted, difficult preacher. Verse 5, then the prophet Jeremiah said unto the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priest and in the presence of all the people that stood in the house of the Lord, even the prophet Jeremiah said, amen. <laughs> he knows how to respond to preaching. And that's sarcasm, by the way. He didn't mean that amen. It's one of these, oh, amen. Wink, wink. <laughs> A amen, Hananiah. The Lord do so. In other words, I hope you're right. 
Hananiah, that'd be great. I really do want things to get better. I wish you were right, but you couldn't be more wrong. The Lord do so. The Lord perform thy words, which thou hast prophesied, to bring again the vessels of the Lord's house and all that is carried away captive from Babylon into this place. Now he gets serious. Nevertheless, hear, now that, or hear thou now this word that I speak in thine ears and in the ears of all the people. The prophets that have been before me and before thee of old prophesied both against many countries and against great kingdoms of peace and prosperity. You say, but I thought, I thought preaching was meant to lift you up and I thought it was meant to, you know, uh, to encourage and cheerlead. And sometimes preaching does that, comfort, encouragement. I get it sometimes when, when God's trying to do that, sure. But sometimes preaching is telling you the bad news. Preaching the gospel is telling you the good news. But sometimes it's bad news. Jeremiah says, there's been a string of prophets before me that when they started to preach, they said, thus saith the Lord, war, evil, pestilence. It's going to get bad. Jeremiah said, there's a long history of this. Verse 9, the prophet which prophesieth of peace, when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord hath truly sent him. He says, all right, Hananiah, you got your way, I got mine. Let's just wait and see who is actually speaking on God's behalf. So guys, let's, let's just stop for a moment and look at your life. Sometimes the fig tree doesn't bloom. Sometimes the flocks and the herds, they die. Sometimes the thief breaks through and steals. Sometimes life goes wrong. Sometimes your plans and the way you were praying over it, it just doesn't work out. Is that reality? Okay, that's life. That's life. Verse 10, then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke from off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and break it. That's one heck of a necklace, right? He was wearing a yoke around his neck. Sermon illustration, he had a prop everywhere he went. Hananiah took it off and wham. Hananiah, verse 11, spake in the presence of all the people saying, thus saith the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way, said, all right, you go from the presence of a foolish man when you perceive not in him the lips of knowledge. That, that's one of the Proverbs. He said, all right, Hananiah, whatever. <laughs> you, you, can, you can break my jewelry all you want. <laughs> verse, thir- uh, verse 12, then the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the prophet after that Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, go back. <laughs> so Jeremiah's walking off and the Lord said, no, 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 you're not done yet. You, you go deal with this guy. Jeremiah was using answer not a fool according to his folly. And God said, no, 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 you're going to answer that fool. (laughs) So he goes back, verse 13. Go and tell Hananiah, saying, thus saith the Lord, thou hast broken the yokes of wood, but thou shalt make for them yokes of iron. By telling them what they want to hear, you're making it worse for them. Tell them that the fig tree isn't going to blossom. Tell them that the vine is not going to flourish. Tell them reality. Tell them the truth. By telling them that it's going to be great, and then when it flops, they think it's God's fault. By telling people that, listen, if you just pray and say these few things that God's going to make it all work out, your dreams are going to come true, painting the wrong picture of God is going to get people pumped up in the moment, but eventually very frustrated and angry at your version of God. 
Verse 14, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all these nations that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. They shall serve him and I have given him the beast of the field also. Verse 15, then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, hear now, Hananiah. (laughs) Picture it in your mind. He's walked out. And God said, no, 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 go back, tell him this. He walks back in and says, oh, Hananiah, P.S., buddy. (laughs) One more thing. Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent thee. You're a false prophet. (laughs) I mean, right in his face. The Lord hath not sent thee, but thou makest this people to trust in a lie. See, this is why when people started saying, who do you think Jesus is? Some said Elijah, some said John the Baptist, some said Jeremiah. Because this man had backbone. This man, he, he, he said it like it was. Verse 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off the face of the earth. This year thou shalt die because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. You said everything's going to work out and you're teaching people to go against the will of God. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. Well, the word of the prophet came to pass. So now we know who's telling the truth. Verse uh, verse 16. It says, this year thou shalt die. How's that for speaking life? (laughs) Why didn't Jeremiah just speak life over Hananiah and said, I'm going to change your bad attitude into a good one? (laughs) It didn't work. He told him the truth. Now watch, let's keep going. We got more to, more to look at. Verse 20, or chapter 29, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, uh, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders, which were carried away captives, and to the priests, and to the prophets, and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. So now uh, cut scene, chapter 28's done. Chapter 29, Jeremiah is going to write a letter to the Jews that have already gone to Babylon. They've already gone through some tough times. Maybe had loved ones murdered in, this, in these dealings with Nebuchadnezzar. They've lost their home. They've lost their possessions. Now they're captives. Verse 2, this and gives us the timing here. After that, Jeconiah the king and the queen, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, and the carpenters, the smiths, were departed from Jerusalem by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah. They were the messengers that took this letter whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent unto Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying. So while these guys were sent by the king, Jeremiah slips a letter in their their pocket and says, hey guys, when you get there, you're you're on official business, be sure to deliver this note. Here's the letter, verse 4. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. Guys, I did it. The reason everything went wrong in your life is because you deserved it and I punished you. Verse 5, here's what he says. Build ye houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that ye may be increased there but not diminished. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. Look what God's telling them. Guys, you're in Babylon. And that stinks. I know you don't want to be there, but you're going to be there. So make the best of the bad situation. 
especially because you did it to yourself. And now you're going to be there a while. So rather than sitting around pouting, whining, complaining about what you brought on yourself, listen, this is not plan A. You destroyed plan A. Now we're into plan B. So now that we're in plan B, this is what God expects you to do with this plan B. You can still, even in plan B, rejoice in the Lord and say, well, I, I don't like where I'm at in life, but God, you are a righteous and true and holy and just God. You gave me what I deserved and I can rejoice in the fact that you did what was right. And I know going forward that you will continue to do what is right. So I'm going to make the best of what I think is a bad situation. That's what God commanded them to do. Pray for Babylon. <laughs> Pray for Babylon. That's what He commanded them to do. Say, but it's a wicked and a horrible and a corrupt government. And they're not Christians. They don't follow God. Pray for them. You see how this would work in our modern times, right? Very true still. Verse 8, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you. Neither hearken to your dreams which ye caused, which ye caused rather, to be dreamed. They're just sitting around all the time daydreaming about how God's going to fix it all within two years. And in Babylon, they'd have people, you know, they'd go to their little synagogue. This is when the synagogue thing started to come together. Before this, they didn't have synagogues. So they're starting to meet in little groups and men begin to preach to them saying, no, no, everything's going to be fine. Just speak life. Be positive. It's all going to work out. God says, you're putting these dreams in your own head. I didn't tell you I'd do that. I didn't say that. What did he say? Verse 9, for they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. So guys, I took, and God did. He told them all the way back in the book of Leviticus that this would happen. If they depart from the Lord, that God would punish them just this way. They should have known this. He says, guys, stop thinking in two years. It's going to be 70 years. So get comfortable. Because <laughs> you're not leaving Babylon anytime soon. Make the most of it where you're at. Verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. How many of you are familiar with that verse? Oh, man, everybody's like, yeah, hey, I saw that. I got a coffee cup. I saw that on a bumper sticker. I saw that on Facebook 20 times this week. Everybody loves verse 11, and they have no clue what the context is. The context is stop thinking it's all going to work out. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? That's exactly the opposite of the way people use that verse. Now, the verse, let, let, let's get this right. Stop thinking it's going to work out now, now. It's not going to work out in two years. It's going to be 70. And God says, I want you to know the reality of it so you know what to expect. I don't want you to get your hopes up that in two years I'm going to make all your dreams come true because that's not how it's going to be. COVID may not go away. You might have to wear a mask. You might have to deal with the vaccine in your job. But that stuff may not go away just like that because you prayed in Jesus' name. 
There's no promise like that. So deal with reality. Open the door and look at the monster that's hiding in your closet. And you go, yep, there is a monster in my closet. I know you're there. And day by day, God's going to give me grace to deal with you, Mr. Monster, that lives in my closet. Now shut the door on the closet and say, okay, you stay there. I'm going to go out and live my life. Because sometimes that monster won't go away. Sometimes you put him there. Verse 12, Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. God says the relationship with me will come right eventually. But you're going to have to learn a few lessons first. Now this is where we don't have time, but if you go into the latter part of the book of Psalms, you can find some some very deep stuff there where the people of Babylon were kind of teasing the Jews, going, sing us one of the songs of, of your land. Come on, rejoice before us. And they couldn't. They couldn't sing those songs because they could not accept what God had done to them. How could God do this to us? Why would God let this happen to me? Notice, that, notice though with Habakkuk, it is possible that even though think, things are staring you in the face, the monster's in the closet and it all looks bad, you can still resolve and determine in your heart, okay, we brought this on ourselves, but I'm going to rejoice anyway. God has made a way for me to get back to him and the relationship will come right. Verse 14, he says, I will be found of you, saith the Lord. I will turn away your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I've driven you, saith the Lord. I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Because ye have said the Lord hath raised us up prophets in Babylon. See, verse 14, eventually he's gonna fix it, but... Verse 15, because you have said the Lord hath raised us up prophets in Babylon, know that thus saith the Lord, of, uh, the Lord of the king that sitteth upon the throne of David and of all the people that dwelleth in this city and of your brethren that are gone forth with you into captivity. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will send upon them peace and prosperity. No, bad news. These false prophets, I'm gonna send a sword, famine, pestilence and make them like vile figs that cannot evil verse 18 I will persecute them with the sword that's bad news this is where when you read the whole Bible and not just memes on Facebook you get to know the real God not just the God that you know the cheerleading God you get to know this God I will send I will persecute them with the sword with the famine and with the pestilence and will deliver them to be removed to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse and an astonishment and an hissing and a reproach among all the nations whither I have driven them These guys that are preaching you know this health and wealth prosperity God says I'm going to make it even worse for them just to show everybody that I'm not I'm not behind that preaching Verse 19, because they have not hearkened to my word, saith the Lord, which I sent unto them by my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, but ye would not hear, saith the Lord. God says, I have been sending these guys, not just for years, for centuries. I sent them early. I told you way back in Leviticus I'd do this. But you guys just weren't listening. You just going by your own dreams and what's in your heart instead of what by what I said. 
Verse 20, Hear ye therefore the word of the Lord, all ye of the captivity whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, of, and now he's going to name the false preachers, of Ahab the son of Kaliah, of Zedekiah the son of Maaseiah, which prophesy a lie unto you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon. He shall slay them before your eyes. And of them shall be taken up a curse by all the captivity of Judah, which are in Babylon saying, The Lord make thee like Zedekiah and like Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Now, you say, man, Brother Mike, this is heavy. Why are you laying on us all this bad news? I I want you to see the whole picture. Because maybe next week's not going to be a great week, and that does not mean that you ditch God. Well, that's God's fault. This is life. We live in a fallen, cursed world and sometimes things go bad and we have to make a commitment. You probably ought to do it right now. Just determine in your heart. It doesn't matter what happens next week. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, I always have a reason to rejoice and be thankful because I'm not going to find my contentment, happiness, and joy in my circumstances, but in my Creator. He, He and He alone offers me the stability I need to go through this confusing world. And if I don't find it in Him, I'm going to be like the waves of the sea tossed to and fro. Unstable as water. We're going to stop with Jeremiah 29. There's so much more even in that passage, but can I bring you to the book of Philippians? Let's see what the Apostle Paul had to say in the New Testament about this. Chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. He doubles up on it for emphasis. I taught you preachers on Friday night, sometimes when you want to emphasize something you repeat. There it is. Rejoice in the Lord how often? always rejoice in the Lord you may not rejoice in your job your marriage your kids your finances etc etc but in the Lord always come on down to verse number 10 Paul says but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again wherein ye were also careful but ye lacked opportunity do you realize Paul's writing this from prison He's, he's arrested, he, he's, he's chained up, and he's writing, rejoice in the Lord always. And I rejoice greatly. The Philippians were not able to help Paul the way they wanted to for a while because they had financial trouble, horrible financial, deep poverty, the Bible says. And he says, now you guys have found a way to help me out. Man, I really appreciate that. Verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want. I'm not being greedy. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. That's the attitude. That's the New Testament version of Habakkuk. Whatsoever state I'm in, it doesn't matter good day, bad day, if the vine is flourishing or if it's withering, doesn't matter. I'm going to find a way to be content. How do you do it? Rejoice in the Lord. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content 
with such things as ye have. What's the next part of that verse? For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's where we find our contentment. Look at verse 12. Paul says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul says, I know how to handle all that stuff. I can, I can go through the good times and the bad times. I have found an anchor for my soul. Verse 13, here's the anchor. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. How many of you are familiar with that verse? It's like Jeremiah 29, 11, isn't it? You go, yep, I got another coffee cup, says that. <laughs> and listen, I, I'm not making light of those verses. They're outstanding verses, but again, people sometimes abuse these things. They pull that verse out, and it's a motivator, you know? You can do anything you, anything you want. Just, just pray, and God's going to help it, and God's going to make it work out. I can do all things through Christ. Get the context. When Paul says, I can do all things, look in verse 12. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. <laughs> I know how to abound and to suffer need. So you know what Paul's saying in verse 13 when he says, I can do all things? I can suffer need and I can go without food through Christ. That's what he's saying. I can be full and abound. I can get a raise and a promotion at work and it won't go to my head and ruin my Christian life. I can do that through Christ. I can do all things. That's what he's getting at. This verse 13 does, is not a promise that if I just do it in Jesus' name, it always works out. I can do all things. That's, that's not what that is. No matter what my condition, my state, I can be content through Christ. He's my stability. Take your Bible, come back to Habakkuk. Chapter 3. I think one of the greatest examples of this in the Bible, and you know it as well, is Job, a very prosperous man, richest man in all of the East. And if you read about his assets, they were, they, they were a lot. That man was filthy rich. He'd make the Guptas look like poor people. <laughs> Like, like, seriously, right? the Guptas would come to him hat in hand, please, please, please. They would, they would come like that. And he lost it all, right? You know the story. I don't need to repeat it. He, he lost it all and his kids. Listen, you can take all my stuff when my kids. Mm. Because Job, you read in Job 1, he didn't, Job didn't go and, and offer sacrifices to protect all of his stuff. He offered sacrifices day in and day out to protect his kids, right? Remember that? Prized possession. And then his kids died. What was his answer to that? Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither the Lord gave. And the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He could still rejoice even when things were not going well when the vine was no longer flourishing and the flocks and the herds were taken away. How could he do that? Because he said it was God that gave it to me in the beginning and he didn't owe it to me. We get this idea that, listen, I worked hard. I made myself who I am. It's all me. I did this and then God stepped in and took it away or God allowed it to be taken away. So God, how dare you intrude in my life? It was God that gave you strength and wisdom enough and opportunity enough to do what you did. You've got to see that it was God that allowed that 
great situation you had to be what it was. Nobody is 100% a self-made man. You, listen, I'm not saying that we sit back and just let God do it all. Labor plus grace. Again, I turn your attention to the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. You know what the next part of that verse is? But I labored more abundantly than they all. The grace that God bestowed upon me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Labor plus grace. That's the right mixture. But to think, to, to think well, I did it. I worked hard. Yes, maybe you did. But recognize God's part in that as well. Habakkuk 3, verse number 19. The Lord God is my strength. Say, Pastor, life is not working out the way I want. I'm getting weak and depressed and I just don't feel like getting out of bed and going on. And I get it. I've been there. I get it. But then stop trying to find your strength in the circumstances. The Lord God is my strength. Habakkuk, how can you say that? God just gave you bad news. Yeah, but at least he told me the truth. At least I know where I can find somebody that will tell it to me straight. And that makes me strong. You read there in the Proverbs, a man who increases in knowledge increases in strength. The more you know, the, the more truth you know about the situation, it gives you more stability. You know how to handle it. The Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hind's feet and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. Even though the nation's going down, Habakkuk says, I'm going up. I'm, I'm going to ride high on this. And he's not gloating. He's not going, ha ha, everybody else has it bad. I have it good. He's right down there with them suffering. But inside, in his heart, in his mind, the peace that passes all understanding is keeping him together. He says, you'll make my feet like Heinz feet. We've all seen like a springbok or a gazelle, you know, moving... They, they don't have a lot down there, right? It's not like they got a size 12. <laughs> just a little bit touching the ground, but man, the stability. Those things can just bounce around and they can trot up that mountain so fast in the rocky terrain, right? Up a mountain, does it, somehow they just keep going up and up and up and they, the stability that they have is breathtaking. That's the point that Habakkuk is making. God told me the truth. It's not gonna get better. But I know that God, even though He's upset and He has a right to punish us, if I walk by faith, I'm going to make it through this. You say, why, why would you say walk by faith? Because that's chapter 2 and verse number 4. His soul which is lifted up is not upright in Him. God, I deserve better than this. God, you should do what I say. You should answer my prayers. You go that route and you're going to be very bitter. But the just shall live by faith his faith. I'm going to go by what God told me. And he rejoices in that. He says, there's my stability. I can trust every word that God has told me. Rocky path all around, everything's falling to pieces, but I'm going to keep slowly just moving up the mountain, getting closer and closer to God, even though my life is falling apart. I, I, I think this, this is the type of message, right? That if it sinks in deep enough, I'm not saying that it prevents all depression and, you know, sadness and stuff like that, but it could really help balance a lot of folks out. 
And I say that because I've had to go through it myself. I've had to learn these lessons, let's say the hard way. I've hit the bottom of the mountain, the valley. And then had to kind of refocus and say, God, you didn't promise me easy times in the ministry and in life. You said as a good soldier, I have to to endure the hardness. And once I figured out that God doesn't owe me all these good things and answered prayers and dreams come true and just finding that contentment in Christ, that brought a lot of peace to my heart. And I hope it does for you as well. Notice at the end of verse 19 to finish this up, to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. What, what, you know, isn't that just kind of like a little side note tacked on there? Well, yes, the way Habakkuk meant it, he's just saying this to, to the choir master down there at the temple, I want you to sing this song and sing it to these instruments. But now consider that for a moment. Habakkuk says, I want you to take this lesson that I've learned. I want you to take the revelation about the future. And I want you to look at my attitude towards it. And I want you to go down there in the house of God with everybody assembled and I want you to put it to music so that everybody hears it and so that they can commit it to their heart. That's what that music down there at the temple was meant to do, right? Music speaks to us. It sticks with us. And Habakkuk said, I want you to sing this down there at the temple for everybody. I don't want this to be some private revelation that just helped me. I want it to help everybody in the house of God. Let's all stand if you would, please. Father, we thank you for telling us the truth. Lord, just like Habakkuk, he he found his strength, he found his joy in you, the God of his salvation. Lord, help us. Help us to find our joy, our contentment in life in you, for you to be our anchor. And just like Jeremiah said, I I wish all the problems would go away. I wish everything would work out quickly, sooner rather than later. But Lord, if it doesn't, we just want you to know that you're still our God. We love you. We trust you. And Lord, we want to be very appreciative and thankful for all the good things you do and have done and allowed us to have. Help us, Lord, not to take it for granted or take it lightly. Please bless the service to come. Continue to speak to our hearts, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.